it's time to get reconnected. Tune in every week to Enneagram Restored Podcast for Reconnected, a relationship series on how the Enneagram can be a bridge between your relationship goals and the current reality of your relationships. I'm your host, Brother Williams, and welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. For my faithful listeners, thanks for listening once again. For new listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. It is my greatest pleasure to not only have someone who is a fellow Type 8 on the show today, but someone who is also a fellow Tennessean. Uh, Meredith Boggs here is here today to talk about um, some practical tips and just advice on how to build a better marriage. And so let's just get right to it. are you doing today i am tired but good i feel you i'm right there with you it's been a busy week yeah um how about yourself how are you doing you know i heard the little boy in the background yes um it is supposed to be his nap time and of course you know he decided i had heard people talk about this but there's apparently this thing called a four-month sleep regression where they just wake up and decide not to sleep and get their schedule all thrown off so oh yeah that's what he's done this week and then I've been working night shift so I'm right there with you being a little bit tired but I uh but yeah I looked at my calendar for today and I was like oh yeah I forgot we're recording this and I was excited about it so yeah Yeah, I'm excited too it's going to get started so you know I don't want to take up much too much of your time um so well, let's just start off with the basics, all right? Um, you're an eight like me, and I forget what you said your wing was. Was it seven or nine? So I pretty much my whole life have winged seven. Well, let me say this. I was introduced to the Enneagram in high school, and it was pretty apparent in high school and college. I definitely winged seven. And then really about my mid-20s, I started really just kind of like not really resonating as much, not really kind of displaying many characteristics of a seven. And then interestingly, in the last year, I think maybe some of it was the pandemic, um, but I think some of it too was getting pregnant and becoming a mom. I have shifted really hard to a wing nine now, which has been really interesting to see. So I would probably say that I wing nine now, um, but I, I would say I'm, I'm an eight pretty well through and through there's some that I resonate with on both um but yeah pretty pretty well yeah. just to eight through and through so yeah and I, I can't remember if I told you last time we talked but like it, it's just ex- exciting to meet people who are eight and you're actually the first person I've met who's an eight besides myself like oh, really? all of my friends <laughs> are like every other number except an eight on the Instagram. I'm like what is up with this yeah <laughs> like Everybody skips that number. It just goes to every other number. But yeah, I guess we're unique type of people. Yeah, it's always fun to meet and connect with people who are your same type. It's like, I, I don't know. I, I've met people who are 
because I'm on wing seven, so I met people who are sevens, and so like, okay, this is nice, but nice, but you're not an eight, okay? So right. you, you don't yeah. understand me all the way. Yes, it's like you get some of it, but the core motivations, the core desires, fears, all that, it's not the same. Yeah, and so uh, you, you talked a little bit about your Enneagram journey already, what you said is discovered in high school, and you know how that works out, but go a little bit more in depth into that. Um, I know we talked about it, personally but just to yeah it on the... yeah on record uh so yeah I was introduced to the Enneagram in high school and I always tell this story and make this caveat for people who are new to the Enneagram they're like what test should I take that's probably the most frequently asked question I get is what's the best test to take and I always tell people tests are helpful but don't like don't don't hinge everything on it because the test can be wrong yeah and prime example uh, when I was in high school I tested hardcore as a one, like through and through. Um, but looking back at that time, I was introduced to the Enneagram uh, through the framework of counseling. Um, and I was in counseling for an eating disorder. So it made sense, like all of my behaviors were so in line with the one. So I always tell people, you have to dive to that. You have to dive down to that motivation piece because none of the, none of the motivations of a type one resonated at all. And so, yeah, so that's how I was originally introduced to it. Um, I'm sorry, I'm so out of breath. <laughs> this is like, sorry. Mom, this is like mom life through and through. You're just like walking around doing your normal daily living activities with your baby. And you're like, why am I so out of breath? Um, I, I yeah, know the I'm, feeling. I'm not um, mom, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyways, um, but yeah, I'm like, this is embarrassing. I'm like walking around talking and I'm so out of breath. Um, that's what nine months of being pregnant and postpartum will do to you. So anyways, but um, so yeah, so I was introduced to it in high school and then continued to use the framework through college and my young adult years. And it just became really helpful, especially when I got married. My husband is a three and he too, interestingly, tested as a seven, which is very common, um, three, sevens, eights. There's some yeah. numbers that they kind of they kind of seem to group together and overlap in terms of, um, you know, you can test as one thing and it turns out you're another. Yeah. Um, but it became but the Enneagram kind of took on a whole new, um, it took on a whole new meaning and it really became a huge catalyst for personal growth, um, relational growth, and spiritual growth. Getting married and then for the past eight years in our marriage, so um, that was kind of my initial introduction to the Enneagram. And then it really wasn't until the last probably three years, um, three, four years now that I really started teaching the Enneagram and started our podcast, started writing about it a lot. And then, you know, fast forward to now I'm writing a book on it. It'll be released probably early 2023. But, um, but yeah, so my husband and I both, um, teach the Enneagram. We coach, we don't really coach individuals. We do it in more in like the group setting for small businesses, for small groups, churches, um, teams that want to optimize their dynamics and relationships. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I tell people I love the Enneagram more. I, I, I'm a huge junkie for any kind of personality test. I love Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strength Finders, any of it, but the Enneagram for me takes the cake because it speaks to core desires, motivations, fears, these, um, these like childhood wounds, these parts of us that they are, they're not just characteristics. They're not just personality traits. 
And, um, and you, you can see from the outside someone's behaviors and it's easy to classify someone based on their strengths or with the Myers-Briggs framework, but that's all speaking to behaviors whereas the Enneagram really gets down to that motivation level. And so for example, my husband and I, he's a three, I'm an eight. There's a lot of things about us that look really similar. We're both high energy, high performers, very driven, but our motivations for why we do what we do are completely different. And so yeah. that's why I'm a huge advocate for the Enneagram, whether it's in your marriage your friendship, personal relationships, work relationships, because it helps you understand people on a deeper level in terms of motivation and desire versus just their behavior. It does. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I had my mother take the test not too long ago, and she was she scored a seven wing eight, so the direct opposite of what I oh, know. Oh, yeah, it's strange, but like to just to see. All right, I can understand because she is that type of person. I think I can stay out shopping all day long, but she <laughs> definitely takes the cake. She, she can give you a run for your money on that one. Yes, she won't let me buy anything, but she can shop all day long. That's well, so funny. Got to buy something at least. That's funny. I love that. But I, I want to talk about your podcast here in a minute, but I want to touch on one thing real quick, because this has been a question that has been burning in me for a long time. And it's always a question that I ask everybody when I find out they're a Christian. What is your denomination? Oh, that's a great question. So I actually, I honestly do not, I don't, we go to a non-denominational church. I really don't affiliate. We don't affiliate with any denomination. I grew up, um, until I was like seven or eight years old in the Southern Baptist church. Um, but then my parents, um, my dad was on staff as a youth pastor, as a music minister, and then he became, um, a full-time songwriter. And so ended up leaving that church and joined a church that was just a Bible teaching expository non-denominational church. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've been, I've, you know, for different seasons through college and young adult years, been at different churches for you know short seasons that have been different denominations um presbyterian episcopal um but you know for me i just kind of look at it as um you know i i don't know like i think i think the dom denominations are helpful and for some people it really is it's, it's what they need it's that framework um yeah. to to kind of um live out their faith um but for me i'm like hey you know we believe in like foundationally, we all believe the same thing. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like apples, oranges, bananas, like they're all fruits, but they're just a little different. Um, yeah. nobody's, nobody's going to argue with you. It's like, oh, Baptists aren't real Christians. Oh, Methodists aren't real Christians. I mean, some people might argue that, but it's like, no, they're all like, you know, it's all the greater church. They're all denominations that fit under it. Kind of like apples and oranges and bananas are all fruits. They're just different. Um, yeah. so yeah, so I, so yeah, the church that we attend is non-denominational. I would really say that I don't, I don't really, I don't affiliate with any specific denomination. That's good. Yeah. I, I never really thought of it like the fruit analogy, but if I had to say I'm a similar guy and we're probably the most, the, the fruit nobody wants to eat Yeah. <laughs> because they're so crazy, but, uh, it's all right though. Not anymore, honestly, though. That's the thing I like about uh, the a lot of the AG churches now, especially the one I go to here in Springfield, which is a mega church, which is a step up from where I grew up. I grew up inside a church that was a hundred people on a holiday 
Sunday. Oh, wow. <laughs> and now yeah. go to a church that's like thousands of people in one service and we have three services a day at yeah. one campus. So it's like, I don't know why that happened, but God called me there. I'm on the worship team there. And it's crazy that's to think awesome. how that all happened, but it's just to go from a smaller church in the AG where it's like, all right, all fire, hell, brimstone. And now this church that I go to James river churches, it, it, it's, it's based the pastor is preached expositorily and yeah it, it, it's life-changing um uh, especially for me i think this is probably why um god placed me there is because uh here at college i'm studying to be a pastor and growing up i was like all right i'm gonna model the exact same thing i grew up in which was like all right topical preaching all right what do we need to hear what was you know if it's hellfire brimstone, that's where I'm preaching. If that's what you need to hear, if it's some feel good message, that's where I'm gonna preach. That's uh -oh. what you need to hear because that's topical preaching. Now, and I think that's why God led me to this church I'm in now is it's solely expository preaching. And it's like, all right, this is the best way to go. You know, this really gets people spiritually fed more in my opinion. And yes. it's really shaped, you know, me being someone who's been called to be a pastor always thinking, all right, I'm a model after this church. I grew up in topical preaching, but now it's like, that's not happening. We're doing all expository. So it, I say all that to say that expository preaching is the best preaching in my opinion. I, I agree with you on that one. I, um, I was so fortunate enough to grow up at a church. So like from the time I was eight years old, that's all that I was really exposed to. And, um, it, it just really, it just created such a foundation of knowledge and understanding of the Bible. But also I think of like how, how the scripture was intended for us to read it and interpret it and to, um, yeah. Yeah. And just, and to apply it in our own lives. Um, and, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, just, I think it's, I think it's just in a world that, and, and, you know, a lot of times you like, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to be critical of anyone's, you know, gift of speaking or their call to ministry. But I think the gift, I think one of the things that expository teaching does is it keeps, um, it keeps people off the, out of the spotlight and off the stage and it keeps yeah. God at the center because it's so easy. I think when you do, you know, when you get up on stage on a Sunday morning and it's just topic by topic, it's really easy to kind of narrow in on something. You can get really wrapped up in like, oh, what are the current events? Like, what's the latest thing that everyone's talking about? What's kind of like the new, um, you know, the new like idea or the, you know, the current thought of choice or whatever. And it really, um, it really takes away from actually what the Bible says and all these hard, fast truths from, um, you know, that, that was set forth, you know, before the beginning of time um, when, when the earth was created. And yeah, so I just think, I think, I don't think topical preaching is bad by any means. I do think that there is a huge place, especially when, you know, world events are happening or, or big things within our culture, they do need to be addressed from um, oh, a lot of days. But if we lean too heavily on just like topical, it can become more of like, oh, this is what I think, or this is what I feel about this. Whereas when you exposit the scripture, it takes human thought and feeling out. And it's like, oh, this is the word of God. What is this actually saying? What does this mean? What's the context? What's it trying to teach us? What, do, how do we apply this to our lives? So yeah, I'm right it here. leaves no room for those people who like to uh, uh, twist the truth yeah. and make the Bible say other stuff. It, it does. 
it's great. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, let's talk, let's go back and talk about your podcast. The other half, um, just tell me all about what it is. Yeah. So, so my, the podcast, oh, this is a funny story. Um, so it actually started, my blog is called the other half and that's really where it started. I'm a writer at heart and, um, and that's kind of, I, I created this blog. Um, I had a blog all through college. It was like, you know, one of those tumblr.com, whatever yeah. blog. And um, <laughs> it's probably still out there. You can find it. But um, about seven years ago, I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I, I kind of realized I had this dream of being a published author. And so um, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this blogging thing for real. Got a WordPress site, you know, did all the things and started writing and putting it out there for the world. And, um, and it wasn't initially branded as the other half, um, but that was kind of the theme that arose through it that um, I, you know, people kept continually saying, you're talking about the other things that you're talking about things that people don't talk about. Um, and a lot of it was in, you know, in, as it pertains to marriage, um, my journey of faith, I went through um, at the time when I kind of kickstarted all of this, my husband and I were living overseas. Um, working for a nonprofit that provided medical and surgical care for orphan children. So it was a really, it was a wild year of just like really uh, seeing a God that I just like, just having to grapple with a side of God that was really uncomfortable and really difficult. And um, it, it, there were, there was a lot of kind of like, not even questioning of my faith, but just really wrestling with God of like, Hey, I believe that you're sovereign. I believe that you're good, but this is really messed up and I'm having a hard time holding those two. And so that's, that's a lot of what was on the blog, but I think what resonated with people was that it was, it was the other half of what was it making the highlight reel of Instagram and Facebook and all the like, you know, fun, you know, picture perfect highlight moments of life. And so that's, that's what the blog turned into is the other half um, real life that doesn't make the highlight reel. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later, people are like, oh, you should do a podcast. I'm like, no, I don't have time. I don't want to do one more thing. And my husband was like, no, you should really do a podcast. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. You know, classic eight here. The yeah. more that people tell me I have to do something, the more stubborn I was. I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And he was like, well, I'll do it with you. How about that? So I was like, deal. I was like, you have to do all the editing. You have to do everything. And uh, so anyway, so we, we kicked off the podcast, I think in 2018 or 19. And, um, it really, it has been, um, it's been really neat to connect with people through it. And selfishly, it's been just really fun to do it together. There have been seasons where we've had to take breaks and, you know, seasons where it was kind of a grind, but every time we sit down and record together, we're like, oh, we're so glad that we did this. It's such a good time of connecting. Um, but yeah, so the podcast is, it's the same premise as my blog, the other half of life that doesn't make the highlight real. But on there, we talk a lot about relationships, um, personal growth, spiritual growth. Um, my husband is an entrepreneur. And so there's a lot in the entrepreneurial space um, of just kind of what that life is like. And then of course, we talk about the Enneagram a lot. And so um, there's, there's Enneagram content sprinkled all throughout. And every time we interview someone, the Enneagram always comes up. But last season that we just wrapped up season three, was exclusively about the Enneagram. And we took a pretty deep dive into um, more like the spiritual growth side of it. And so there's not a ton of content. If you go on there, it's, it's not going to be like your classic episodes of like, oh, this is a type one. This is, you know, how you tell your type one. It's a lot more about 
Um, if you if you've gone on a deep dive into the triads, the core emotion, shame, fear, anger, talking about the spiritual practices of silence, solitude, and stillness, and what that looks like in our lives and how that plays out for your individual type. So um, yeah, so that's kind of the premise of the podcast. Um, and yeah. I love it. it I am a fan of always talking about the uh, stuff people don't like to talk about. I, like you said, I think it's part of the um, eight in me. It's like always bringing up subjects that people don't like to talk about just to, you know, challenge their uh, yeah. current thinking. And yeah. tell us spark good conversation. I don't yeah. know if I feel like this is an eight, but I get so bored sometimes. I'm like, I cannot talk about The Bachelor. I cannot talk yes. about like this TikTok video anymore. Can we please talk about something else? But, and then, you know, the negative side of the eight comes out and I'll say something really brash or really like borderline offensive. Um, but, but it comes from the place, like you were saying, that it's like, we really do want to dive into the other half of what's there and talk about, talk about real life. Yeah. It being in college, it, kind of surprised by the, by the amount of people who don't, because I'm a, immediately kind of huge on politics. And and it's one thing that's always like, all right, I'm in a room with a group of my friends and it's like, they're talking about this and that. But I'm like, how about we talk about this bill that just passed or this legislation that's trying to be passed? And it's like, I want to know your thoughts. But it's like, at the same time, none of my friends are into politics like me. And it's like, all right, yes. I might not enjoy the conversation as much as I do. Yes, well, and as an eight, I feel like a lot of times it's like, okay, your energy and your passion is not bad, but dial it back just a little bit because yeah. when you dial it in, you come across as like brash and bulldozing and it's just really a lot for people. And so <laughs> I have to remind myself that a lot that it's like your passion and your energy is okay just dial it out, you know, dial it back when appropriate and then dial it in when it's okay. And it's not only that, it's always brash for me because I'm a Democrat and I, and I attend a conservative white college. So it's always like, okay, um, don't, don't want to start any fights today just yet. Yes. So you're all, so that also puts you even more of the classic eight. It's like yes. the, the need to be against the one that's, you know, the one that's challenging the status quo. I love yes, it. Yes. I just, it, it's awesome. I, I don't know. It's like God said, all right, you're going to be the one who just, you know, doesn't go for the original and you're always making people think beyond their um, surface level thinking. And it's like, yeah. that's just me to the T. But that's also, I think the gift of, that's one of the gifts that the eight spring is that um, when they're in a good, healthy place, they do challenge the status quo and they challenge the way that things have always been done. They challenge yeah traditions and thought patterns and um you know things politically things within the church within the faith that it's like just because we've always done this doesn't mean that it's first of all doesn't mean that it's right and second of all it doesn't mean that we need to keep doing it this way so that is one of the gifts um that the eights bring and sounds like you do that in your circles which is cool. sometimes too much uh, got me kicked out of a church one time that's a <laughs> long story that I could probably don't want to tell right now Oh, I need to, I need to hear that story. I feel like I need to include that story in my book on the chapter on an eight. So, um, I'll try to do a brief one right now, but so I thought as a um, different way of advertisement to use a current event, um, this was back in 2016, I believe, 
um, and was using um, the death of Harambe as like a advertisement thing, uh, jokingly on the Facebook page. And yeah, it sent a whole uproar to everything, but. Oh my God. <laughs> that is probably one of the most eight stories I've ever heard. Like I was just, because <laughs> the church I was doing, I was working for volunteer work at that time was largely older people and so it's like all right here's oh a current event that young people like if they see us posting this they might find it funny and be like hey i'm gonna try to visit that church but um let's just it say well it did <laughs> yeah it did not so oh my god that's serious but i look back and it's like all right maybe that was god ordained because if i would stay in that church any longer i probably would have been when it worked yeah, I probably just would have been, I, I say, because that church did spiritually drive me out a lot because it just wasn't life-giving in any way. So I, I say it was probably good that that happened. And God got me out of that situation because, oh, who knows what I'd be if I stayed there. Mm. But anyway, so tell me, uh, I, we might talk about this at some point, but my memory serves me horribly a lot of times. Um, in your opinion, why is the Enneagram so important to be used throughout the lifespan of a marriage? Ooh, I love that. So, so I'm actually going to quote someone um, on a podcast earlier this week. So Esther Perel, who is a licensed family and marriage therapist, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but she says something to the effect of, um, in the, she says, everyone has two to three marriages or significant, um, sorry, this is the other half of life right now. My kid that decided not to nap today. Um, uh, so she says something to the effect of, um, everyone will have, will go through two to three marriages or significant uh, or relationships with a significant other in their lifetime. And if you know something about, and sometimes they're with the same person, or if you're lucky, they'll be with the same person. And, um, and which that quote to me is really cool because, um, I feel like I'm in a season of my marriage right now. My husband and I have been, we dated for six years and then um, we have been married for eight. So we've been together for half of our lifetime. Um, we're both, we're both 30, 31. And, um, and so, yeah, we, um, it's, um, sorry, crying baby. Um, maybe, maybe you can just edit out the crying. Um, but, sorry. <laughs> um, but there, I think that that's really cool. So like I was saying, we've been, we've dated for six years, have been married for eight. We, um, we've lived a lot of life in our, our eight years of marriage um, in terms of career change, starting businesses, living overseas, working as medical missionaries, um, you know, starting businesses, me writing a book now, just had a baby. And I feel like we are in a season right now where we're entering into a new marriage kind of. Um, and I think especially having a kid has been a catalyst to that, but it's like, okay, like the marriage that we've always known, the people that we've always been have changed drastically now because we have this other human that is, you know, a, you know, part of both of us that we, that's now part of our lives and will be for the rest of them. Um, and so I think the Enneagram is so important because it has been, it has been an acutely stressful season um, in a lot of ways, just to give a little picture into the other half. Uh, my husband, so my son, he was born in February. He 
came a little bit early, um, which we kind of thought that he might come a little bit early, but nevertheless, it's always a little stressful when you're like, oh, I might have a baby that spends some time in the NICU. And then along with that, so we had, we had a little early arrival from this guy, Jack. And then at the same time, we did not plan on this, but um, my husband um, was, is, well, we still are, are very much back in startup phase with his business. Um, had launched one last September and we were like, okay, we'll be at the six month part by the time we have a baby. Like we've been through this before several things happened. That partnership kind of, um, just, you know, I don't know, fizzled out and, uh, he and his partner split ways. And so, um, restarting, restarting again. And, um, so, so literally having a baby and also trying to get a business off the ground and we're still, we're still in that season. And so, and, and, you know, aside from that, like just adjusting to, motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood, the changes that that um, creates in your relationship is just, it's just bananas. And, um, and the Enneagram has been so helpful in this season. Um, like for example, last night, my husband, he called me on it and he was so right. I just, I just had felt this week, I, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but I, I went back to work recently. I work as a critical care nurse um, for Vanderbilt Life Flight. And so I've been working night shift this week, which is just, you know, something in and of itself. And then I've got a four month old who is now like going through this sleep regression thing. So he's not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. Um, I'm working at night, trying to be awake with him during the day and, you know, stress and like still recovering from having a baby. And I just picked a fight with my husband last night and he, um, and he called me on it. He was like, you feel like this is connection right now because, because we are connecting really deeply and really intimately because it wasn't some, it wasn't some piddly little fight of like, Oh, you left the dishes out or, you know, something silly. Yeah. Like it was like real deal. Like I'm deeply hurt by this. You didn't show up for me on this. And he just called me on it. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, your points are not valid and that I'm like let off the hook, but he was like, I think you're picking a fight with me right now because connection through conflict for you is better than nothing at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, you are so right. Of course, I don't want to tell him he was right in the moment. But, um, but you know, went away, thought about it for the rest of the night. And this day, to, today when I woke up, I was journaling about it. And I was like, gosh, he is so right. I just, I just wanted connection so badly that I was willing to, I, I was trying to find it through unhealthy conflict. And so Going back to your original question, like how does the Enneagram serve, especially through the course of a marriage? Um, I don't, that is definitely not something that we would have recognized in our first couple years of marriage. And I'll say for him as a type three, it's been really, it's been such a gift to watch how the Lord has transformed him and his heart and just threes, um, you know, threes can get a bad rap, rightfully so for being a little bit manipulative. They can be shapeshifters. They can kind of project a certain image, tell a certain story that fits. And they're not being totally honest with themselves and they're not being totally honest with other people. But I've watched him over the years really dig in and do the personal work and the spiritual work to be, to be truthful and honest and transparent with himself. And so that he's doing the same with me and he's doing the same thing with a group of close guys that hold him accountable. Um, that he's, you know, that he, that he's growing and that he's, um, being transformed and growing in, in, in the fruits of the spirit. And so I think the Enneagram is just, it's, it's so vital. Um, or I won't say it's vital. 
Jesus is vital. The Enneagram is really helpful um, in relationships because of the framework that it gives you to understand and because you can also look back over it and go, oh my gosh, look at where we've come and like, look at how much we've grown and you can recognize things like my husband called me on last night when he was like, you, I understand like you need connection, but you're trying to find it in a sideways way right now through conflict. Um, and so, and, and I think too, because the Enneagram is so, it's so dynamic and there's so much nuance that you have your type and there's endless learning um, personally and spiritually that you can do just within your type. But then if you branch out and you start getting into your wing and then you start to understand where your type moves in times of stress and in times of security, yeah. that's also can be extremely insightful in your, um, in your marriage as well. So, um, yeah, if you want me to answer anything more specifically, but that was kind of like a big overview word vomit of an answer to that question. Oh, I, I love it. I, especially it, cause it's in my opinion from what I, I'm single. I've never been in a relationship, but just observing marriages of people different ages and dating relationships of people different ages, it is interesting. And I, find, I applaud your husband on this and the fact that he was courage had enough courage to point out that in you. Um, that's just something that's lost in not only uh, romantic relationships but also platonic relationships nowadays too. It's like allowing yourself to be called out and feeling free to be able to call people out when you see something like that in them. So yeah, it's applaud both of y'all for him for feeling like he could do that and you for accepting it. And even, you know, I learned that the woman is always right. So I hope he still kept that sentiment. Well, at the time, but after, you know, going away and thinking about it last night and today, I was like, okay, you know what? He is right about that. I should probably, I should probably spend some time in prayer and yeah. yeah deal with that with the Lord, but yeah. So I have some more questions. Um, Shoot. So kind of want to branch into, um, so we talked about marriage overall, but kind of want to branch into like um, three different stages, you know, the single, the engaged in the actual marriage part. Um, so First question is this, how can someone who is single and looking for a lifelong partner use the Enneagram in the pursuit for the quote unquote right person? Yes, I love that question. Um, and this is gonna sound, this is not gonna be the, uh, the answer that everyone wants, but I think the best way is to just learn as much as you can about your type. And I think we are all guilty of doing this, but we, and it comes from such a good place of just like excited to understand other people, to have a framework by which to understand them. And that's so important, but honestly, understanding yourself I, is really where it begins. Unless you can understand yourself and, and, you know, and things in, in the realm of like self-love and self-compassion, if you can't do that for yourself, you can't do it for someone else. And so, um, and so I, I think you know, speaking to singles, use this time and learn so much about yourself. Um, you know, too, I, 
I joke with people um, that I got married as a child. And so that's why I had to wait till I was growing up to have a child of my own. Cause you know, waiting eight years, people are like, okay, when are you going to have a kid? Um, but I tell people, I'm like, we got married when we were 22. Like, yeah, we had dated for six years at that point, but you grow up so much in your twenties and you learn so much about yourself. And I am so thankful for the time that I mean, we were married, but we also, it was just years to spend getting to know ourselves and getting to know each other. And so if you're single, um, I do not at all want to minimize the, that season of waiting, especially if you long to be married and that's part of what you feel is part of your life's calling. I don't want to minimize that season of waiting, um, and unmet longing at all, but you'll never get that season back in that time of just you to grow and learn and discover all these things about yourself. And so deep dive into the Enneagram and your type um, and learn about other types too. Absolutely. But once you find your type, lock in on it and just learn everything you can about your motivations, your desires, the core emotion that drives you, whether it's fear, anger, shame, um, your story and like how that is contributed to who you are and shaped who you are, because that knowledge is really that foundation that you set for yourself is what will, it's just, it's the foundation that you'll build your marriage on. And so, um, yeah, so I know, I know it'd be really cool to be like, oh, go read this book or learn about these types. Um, and you know, and there are some things, um, Elizabeth Bennett with Enneagram life, she, she does a great job kind of talking about the compatibility of different types. Um, I think Beth McCord has some content on that as well. That talks, it kind of pairs types together and talks about, you know, how they're, how they're compatible types that, you know, have a harder time with each other. And that's great. But I think the best bang for your buck, um, in terms of how to spend your time is really just learning about yourself. Yeah. I, I second that advice because there is just try to give an example in my life. Uh, I used to, uh, Believe it or not, I kind of used to be shy. <laughs> I would not talk to pretty much anybody, but it was kind of weird because if you put me on a stage to give a speech or a sermon, I would float off the boat and just be having fun with no problem. It's like, <laughs> how is this possible? Shy in public, but you know, when I'm speaking in large crowds, I can have no problem. I'm a strange person. <laughs> but uh, I used to be a person who openly and freely gave out hugs. Um, but Somehow, I never really took note of this um, until just a couple, probably this past year, actually. Uh, but I stopped being that person who like, all right, it's probably going to take two years or more where I'm at now. It's like before I give you a hug freely. And it, it, I was like, why, why is this? Because I knew in the past hugs were like no big deal. Like you can hug me if you want. I'll hug you back. But like I realized it's because I went through I start thinking, realizing it's because I went through some um, relational trauma with some friends who um, kind of brought me out of one point in life. They took me from, they helped me get out of that shy phase to, you know, being who I am now. And just some hurt from that relationship really caused me to um, set back that type of, you know, being able to show physical affection through hugs. And so, yeah, it, understanding who you are really does help deepen your relationships because now I'm on the men's like all right may not like it but give yeah somebody a hug now yeah. uh and uh because we live on like 
floors in the dorm we have like three floors and i'm on the third floor and all the guys on my floor they, they are like why don't you give us a hug and so when i finally realized that all right this is why i don't give hugs anymore i, I started pushing myself and I actually of course i wanted something out of it but uh we had ordered um hoodies and I was like, all right, if everybody puts on their hoodie right now and takes a picture, I'll give you all hugs. And so, of course, it got me my picture, but I had to deal with giving hugs to like 15 people. So. I like that. And that's, and that's going back to your point. It's like, it's important, you know, when you're single, you do have the gift of time. Like I know having a, having a spouse is amazing. You have like your built-in best friend that you spend you know, your nights and your weekends and your holidays with and like, and having kids is fun too in a different way, but, but yeah, like your time gets chipped away at. And when you're single, it's like, like you said, like you've had time to figure out where's this coming from? Where's this stemming from where I think a lot of people, once they find themselves in a long-term relationship or once they're married or have kids, they just put themselves on the back burner and doing that work to understand and know yourself takes time and effort and they probably just rather sleep. And so they just, they just kind of like put themselves on the back burner and don't, and don't do that work. Um, but what it gets to give yourself and other people, um, to do that work, to know yourself, because then you're giving, then the person that you do end up marrying, you're giving them this amazing gift of all this time that you've spent learning about yourself and, becoming more aware, growing deeper in your relationship with the Lord. And just like, and just what a cool gift to give someone that's time that's never wasted. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I love that. So and we, for my next question, we kind of touched on this throughout the other stuff we talked about, but to give a more pointedly a question is for the engaged people, the newlyweds, what are some heart to heart conversations um, using the Enneagram that newly engaged and newlyweds can have with each other to build a solid foundation in their marriage? Ooh, that's a great question. I think when you're engaged and when you're married, um, I think this is like, this is where the Enneagram can get really fun and really cool to start dive, to start diving down to that, um, to that core emotion level. Like, do you know, are you in the anger triad? the eight, nine, one, are you in the fear triad, the five, six, seven, are you in the shame triad, the two, three, four, and what's kind of the lens through which you see the world. And, um, and if that, if that language is foreign to you, there's a ton of great content. Um, like I said, um, Elizabeth Bennett with Enneagram life, mm -hmm. she writes about this a lot. Um, there's a whole series on it on my podcast. If you, if you're not familiar with it, but, but that's really cool because I think, um, I think a lot of times when conflict arises, um, you know, we say this all the time, but it's a lot of times conflict, especially within a marriage or a close intimate relationship, it's not really about the thing that the conflict is about. So, yeah. um, you know, for like, for example, what I'm, what, you know, what I was talking about last night with my husband, I don't remember what we were fighting about, but, it, but I do know that it was in the big picture of life. It was something, it was probably something pretty dumb. It was probably something about like, um, oh, I do know what it was about. We had a, we had a miscommunication today about, about childcare and like who was going to drop off our son and who was going to pick him up and at what time. And so we get into this, you know, conflict about it. And the whole time, you know, it's like, we're fighting, we're fighting about, you know, this little miscommunication that we had about it. But what we're actually fighting about is the fact that we feel really disconnected from each other. And he's, and, you know, and he's tired of me 
engaging in conflict as a way to connect. Um, because he comes home at night and he's like, I genuinely want to connect with you, but connecting through conflict is exhausting. And so when you, when you look at it through the lens of like, of the Enneagram with like, what's my core desire? What's my core fear? Um, you know, what's my core emotion? Then it's like, oh, this makes sense. And as a type eight, type eight, their core fear is being abandoned or being betrayed. And so it sounds it sounds crazy, but it's easy to get there on the crazy train of feeling like, oh, okay, because we have this miscommunication and then I have to pick up the slack and take my son, you know, and pick him up while my husband goes to work. And because, you know, I've been working night shift and this and this, it's easy to feel like, oh, I'm doing everything and he's just going to work every day. Not that that's nothing, but, uh, but it's easy to get to this really negative place in your mind and this really martyrdom place um, where you're like, you know, you just blow everything up and you just, you're like, I am I'm on my own. I'm doing this all on my own. And it's like, what's actually under that is this core fear that I'm going to be abandoned. But the fact of the matter is that my husband has never abandoned me physically, spiritually, emotionally. Yes. We've had conflict and yes, we've had times of disconnection, but you know, but that, that fear that's feeding into everything that's on my side of the street and I have to deal with that. And so I think for people who are in that season of we're engaged, we're getting married, our relationship's getting pretty serious. That's a really cool time to look at the driving motivations, um, the core emotions, the core fears, and the basic desires of each type. Because um, that's the kind of stuff that you're going to see over and over and over again in your relationships. Like, you know, like I was saying, like when conflict arises, it's, it's probably because deep down I'm feeling betrayed or abandoned, even if that's not actually what's happening. Um, and when, you know, when I'm, when I'm challenging my husband, when I'm, you know, engaging with him in conflict, it's because I'm looking, I'm looking for a way to connect because I'm feeling, I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling scared and I'm, and I'm needing, and I'm needing some connection. I'm just going about it in the wrong way. So I think that's a really good time um, to dive into that whole world with the Enneagram. Um, Cause it's just, yeah, it's just great. It's good. Uh, I like that. And, and, and I have one last question, but before we get into this question, I, I kind of want to preface this with the love language test. Okay. Have you taken it? Yes. And you know, what's so funny. I was actually just about to bring that up in my last, <laughs> in my last answer, but yes, the love languages, I am very familiar with it. And I love, I love it. What is your top love language? My top love language, I think it's changed a little bit over the years, um, but I think now it is acts of service. Hey, <laughs> it's like God has ordained this thing right here because that's mine too. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's like we're two of the same people talking from different perspectives on the same thing. And it's just awesome. I love this. And, and so now that I know what is the, if, if you can remember, what's the least one for you? Um, so it's, so let me think it's quality time, acts of service, physical touch, um, gifts. And what's the fifth one? I'm blanking on it. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't remember either. I can't remember. Um, my least is probably, um, I would, I would say gifts. Um, 
I mean, I, I do appreciate a good gift, but um, yeah, quality time, I think used to be my, used to be my love language. And now, um, and now I'm not, not so much quality time, but um, more acts of service. But yeah, I would say probably like gifts is probably my least. Okay. My so least one. this is about to get even more strange because, and I think it's, what, what I'm getting from this is I think it's for people who are nonprofit workers because you said you worked in a nonprofit and yeah. I've worked in nonprofits and my minor is a nonprofit. Yeah. So it, it, I think it's really nonprofit people because gifts is the lowest one for me too. That's so funny. <laughs> like I scored an eight on extra service, a seven on everything else, and then a one on gifts. It's like gifts Ooh. are no go. That's hilarious. You know, I, I can identify with that because, you know, I did used to work for a nonprofit, but I, I mean, I work in the helping profession. I'm a nurse by trade. And so I think like, I think for me, it's like, oh, I want someone to do what I do for them, which is like acts of service. Yeah. Do, do things that like take care of me because um, I spend my days taking care of other people. Um, that's so funny that ours are the same, that both the top and the bottom one. And it's just i'm telling you i don't know why how that is but it's, it's interesting when you meet people like that when like everything is like i don't even know how to describe it yeah yeah uh, but the last question is this how can married couples um despite the length of their marriage whether it's um 20 years 15 despite how long they've been married how can they use the enneagram in combination with their love language to show love to each other oh that's a great question um, so I'll say this again, been married for eight years, so it's not, you know, it's not 30 years, but you know, it's been a minute. Um, I think that a great way to, um, to use the Enneagram in conjunction with love languages is, um, and this sounds kind of weird, but it's just always to be curious because as we've talked about as we talked about, um, and I even shared, my love language has changed um, over the yeah. years. And same, my husband's has too. His used to be physical affection. Now his is also acts of service. So we're just constantly trying to do acts of service for each other. But um, but I think it's I think it's really important, especially the longer that you've been married, the longer that you've been with someone, it's really easy to kind of freeze them in time and to think, well, you know. And, you know, like to use an example that's silly, you know, it's like my favorite color is green, you know, his favorite color is blue, but that can change. Like, you know, if I ask him, you know, today, I don't know, I haven't asked him in years what his favorite color is. I assume that it's still blue, but who knows? It might actually be different. And so I think it's really important to, to stay curious about each other, especially as it comes to love language, especially as it comes to things like your Enneagram type, just asking questions like, hey, what resonates with you? about the type three, what resonates with you about the type eight? You know, do you, do you connect with the core emotion of shame? Do you connect with the core emotion of anger? Um, you know, like, tell me about your love language is, do you feel like acts of service really still resonates? If so, what is that? What does that look like specifically? Um, Cause you know, kind of, like I said, once you get in a relationship with someone, it's easy to just kind of be moving and grooving and be like, yeah, we know each other really well. We're great teammates and you are, but we also, we're not frozen in time. We're dynamic people. We, um, we grow and we change and our, you know, our thoughts and our beliefs hopefully will change. Hopefully our core values remain the same. Um, but just really being curious, I think is a great way to, um, to combine the Enneagram along with love languages 
in relationships that are, you know, in long-term relationships and marriages. I like that. I like that. Well, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't talked about? I, you know, I don't think so. I love it. I love what this podcast is about. Um, my, my biggest thing, I'll, I kind of talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but um, if you're new to the Enneagram, take a test. It's so helpful, but read books, listen to podcasts, talk to other people about it. I think something that's really interesting about the Enneagram is that it's actually an oral tradition. And I, I don't think that that's any coincidence because um, I think that there's knowledge and understanding that you glean and that you gain from it by talking about it with other people and learning about their types. And so, yeah, take a test, get an idea of what type you think you are, but then go read a ton, talk to people, listen to podcasts. Um, yeah, so that would kind of be my, my final closing thought. I like it. All right. biggest thing that matters when it comes to building a better marriage is understanding yourself as an individual. Um, for everybody who is single like I am, I, I, I want you to heed Meredith's advice about discovering yourself. Uh, just take some time to do a deep dive on yourself. There are seasons of singleness and there are seasons for self-development. Seasons of singleness are for self-development. And so, but if you're engaged in getting to getting ready to tie the knot, take, take some time to really get into understand your core emotions, core motivations, and core fears to be able to recognize those in different situations. And lastly, for all the married couples out there, the key in maintaining a healthy marriage and building upon that health is to stay curious. Um, always wonder how your partner is doing how how their emotions are reacting to different situations and i, I just really love what meredith meredith said about people changing P- people change so stay curious about your significant other's love language and stay curious about the core emotion and, and stay curious about what resonates with them in different seasons of life different seasons of life but with all that being said, that, that's all that I have for you all this week in Enneagram Star Podcast. And again, I thank Meredith for being on the show today. You can go follow Meredith on Instagram at Meredith, Meredith W. Boggs. I'll have her handle in the podcast description so you can easily access it. But I also encourage you to go and listen to her podcast, The Other Half. Um, check out the blog, The Other Half. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, don't miss next week's show because I will begin the, we, we just got started with this weekend series. So this was a kick off to the entire series, but next week we're going to start talking about type eights and how they can get reconnected in their relationships. All right. So with that being said, remember the Enneagram doesn't define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits. <laughs>